The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta Airlines, the commercial airline the U.S. military trusts to perform maintenance on its aircraft. Learn more at deltatakingaction.com. Good morning. I'm James Homan from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 24th. In today's news, the Trump administration makes its first tangible move against the Saudis. The White House politicizes the VA and a second migrant caravan is forming in El Salvador. But first, the big idea. U.S. Cyber Command has begun targeting Russian operatives, warning them that the military is tracking their activities in an attempt to deter them from disrupting the fast-approaching midterm elections. This operation, which began in recent days, is the first under a new presidential order easing restrictions on offensive cyberspace actions against foreign networks. This is Cyber Command's initial foray into safeguarding U.S. elections. The news that the operation has begun comes as President Trump's national security advisor, John Bolton, warned senior officials, including Vladimir Putin, in Moscow that he considers any Russian interference in the American election process intolerable. The digital alerts, which could take the form of text or direct messages, pop-ups, or even emails, are implicit warnings meant to stay below the level of an armed attack. U.S. national security officials tell my colleague Ellen Nakashima that they do not want to provoke the Russians into counterattacking. They just want them to cut it out. The targets include military hackers and so-called trolls financed by Russian oligarchs who are close with Putin. The campaign is being led by General Paul Nakasone, who wears two hats. He's the head of the military cyber command and the National Security Agency. He says this is his top priority. Now, it's not totally clear how effective a deterrent these emails will be against determined Russians. But experts hope that the messages could indicate to the enemy that if they continue their malicious activity, they may become the target of U.S. sanctions or indictments or more. The idea is to put them on notice, to let them know we're watching closely and that we know full well what they're up to. In recent months, special counsel Bob Mueller has obtained indictments against and imposed sanctions on Russian operators who sought to undermine our political system. The targets include officers from Russia's military spy agency, the GRU, as well as individuals working for the Russia-based Internet Research Agency, a troll farm that's financed by people close to Putin. Just this past Friday, the Justice Department charged a Russian woman with trying to interfere in our midterm elections. Speaking of the Russians... John Bolton, who was wrapping up his trip in Moscow yesterday, reiterated Trump's commitment to withdraw from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. That treaty, signed in 1987 by Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev, led to the removal of more than 2,500 nuclear missiles from Europe. Bolton says the U.S. will present a formal notice leaving the landmark agreement soon. Now, Bolton's been a longtime hawk. He's opposed deals like this for decades. Speaking in Russia, he echoed Trump's assertions that they're violating the pact. He suggested that no progress was made to ease the impasse during two days of talks with the Russians. Bolton's comments disappointed Germany and other U.S. allies in Europe who have urged Washington to try and overcome disputes with Russia rather than walking away from a pact entirely that has helped keep the region safe. Now, the Kremlin denies any violations. They say scrapping the INF will be a dangerous development that will spark a new arms race. Trump, asked about the possibility of a new arms race, said bring it on. Extending an olive branch, though, 
Bolton says that Trump and Putin plan to meet next month in Paris. Both leaders will be in France for ceremonies marking the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I. It will be their first meeting since Helsinki. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced Tuesday that the United States will revoke the visas of the Saudi agents who were accused of killing journalist Jamal Khashoggi at the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Pompeo says he's working with the Treasury Department on whether to impose other sanctions against those responsible for the Washington Post contributing columnist's death. The Trump administration has lagged behind the rest of the international community in responding to what happened. On Tuesday, Trump continued to express reluctance to push back aggressively, but he told reporters at the White House that the Saudi version of events is, quote, the worst in the history of cover-ups. Leaders in the Arab world are fearful that the ongoing controversy over Khashoggi's death could trigger regional conflict if the U.S. scales back its support for the Saudis, who have been key strategic allies for more than half a century. Even though some U.S. business leaders pulled out, that global investment summit in Riyadh, known as Davos in the Desert, kicked off yesterday. It's hosted by Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who intelligence sources believe personally authorized the operation against Khashoggi. Thousands of American business leaders are still there anyway, though they tried to keep a low profile and most avoided talking to the news media. In fact, many used their ties to cover up their badges so that reporters couldn't see their names. In any case, the lobby of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel buzzed with energy as more than 3,000 people hobnobbed, discussed potential business ventures, and tried their best to enjoy the trappings of the luxurious three-day summit. But there was a certain irony on display. One song played during the conference's evening gala was Hotel California. That's a curious choice, because at the same hotel that's hosting the conference, businessmen last year were held captive and not allowed to leave until they agreed to give up power and pay money to Mohammed bin Salman. Number two, in recent months, the White House has rejected several judicial nominees who were tapped to serve on the Board of Veterans Appeals. In doing so, the Trump administration has politicized a completely historically nonpartisan role. Appointees are tasked with determining whether an injured veteran is entitled to lifetime benefits or not. But the White House required the people who had been selected by the current judges on the court to disclose their party affiliation and other details related to their political leanings, even though the only decisions they'll ever make are about veterans' benefits. This has never been done before by presidents of either party. The Trump team then went on to reject all the Democratic-leaning applicants and accept all the Republican ones. Over at VA headquarters in D.C., meanwhile, a senior official just took down a portrait of the Ku Klux Klan's first Grand Wizard. It was in his office until fellow agency employees expressed outrage. David Thomas Sr. is the deputy executive director of the VA's Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization. Its job is to certify veteran-owned businesses seeking government contracts. His staff is mostly African-American. Thomas said he took down the painting after a Washington Post reporter explained to him that its subject, Nathan Bedford Forrest, was a Confederate general and notorious slave trader who became the KKK's first figurehead in 1868. Thomas said he was unaware of Forrest's affiliation with the hate group. He said he just liked the painting. Number three, a second migrant caravan from El Salvador is taking shape as the Honduran caravan that's been dominating the news this week continues its trek northward. The Department of Homeland Security is tracking the communications of 230 people who are in a WhatsApp group. They intend to leave El Salvador on October 31st, one week before the midterms. 
These caravans form because people hope to find safety in numbers, and they don't want to pay for coyotes to smuggle them. For his part, Trump acknowledged yesterday that there is, quote, no proof that people of Middle Eastern descent are part of the first caravan, as he previously claimed. His aides had vigorously defended his dubious comments, but the president acknowledged that it was just speculation. And White House aides say that he got the idea from watching a segment on Fox. Now, the Washington Post has a reporter embedded with the caravan, and he says the people there are nothing like what White House officials say. Edith Cruz and her cousin, for example, are part of the group. They had just opened a small business selling tortillas when they were confronted by a gang and threatened with death if they didn't hand over half their profits. After the attempted shakedown, Edith looked on Facebook and saw that there was a caravan forming to head toward the United States. Within three hours, her bags were packed. She's so scared for her safety that she's willing to leave her family and her hometown to take a dangerous journey north in hopes that one day she might be able to safely pursue the American dream. That's who's coming. And that's The Daily 202 for Wednesday, October 24th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.